Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today, our guest is Andrew Keel. He is the CEO of Keel Team, a MHU top 100 owner of manufactured housing communities with over 2,000 lots under management. His team currently manages over 30 manufactured housing communities and 11 self-storage facilities across more than 10 states. He also is the host of the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. So be sure to say hi to him over there. Andrew, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Andrew, can you share a little bit about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah, it's a wild story. I uh, had a sales job here in Orlando, Florida. And while I was working that, I started wholesaling and flipping houses on the side. And I was having inconsistent income. I would close a flip and then I'd go a couple months with no income. And then through my marketing, I was going off market. I was sending out probate and divorce and out-of-state owner letters. And through that, I got a lead on two mobile homes in Ocala, Florida. So I live in Oviedo, just a little drive up the road, went up to Ocala and bought these two, you know, 19, mid 1990 manufactured mobile homes, vinyl sided shingle roof homes for $2,200 cash. And they were motivated. And I was like, I don't know anything about mobile homes. But I know that it costs more to build these things than $2,200, $1,100 a piece. So I went home, I got on YouTube, and I typed in how to make money with mobile homes. And I found this guy named Lonnie Scruggs, who teaches this, this class. And he has a book called Deals on Wheels, where he teaches people to like sell uh, mobile homes to an end buyer on contract after you, you know, fix them up. So that's what I did is I sold these two mobile homes for $2,500 down and $250 a month for five years after very minimal cleanup. And I was sold from that point on. And I ended up doing 19 more of those and getting out of the rat race. You know, if you're a a Kiyosaki fan, where like all my expenses were covered by the income. So my flips that I was doing was just helping kind of boost that a little bit higher. And then through doing the Lonnie deals, I met a park owner who started funneling me homes. It was the craziest thing. He's like, hey, when people abandon homes in my parks, I'll give them to you. You rehab them and sell them and make the profit. I just want lot rent. And I was just like mind blown. So I I ended up making friends with him and we went out to lunch and he kind of took me under his wing and taught me syndication and how to group together investors and buy the whole mobile home park instead of just the individual trailers. So that was life-changing for me. And to this point, you know, we've grown a huge portfolio syndicating and adding value to uh, mobile home parks. It's interesting as when you got the mobile home park deals, those first two under that came across your desk, what was it about it that made you kind of like stop and reevaluate it instead of thinking like, oh, we'll just pass on this one. Maybe this is too good to be true. And then kind of deep dive a little bit into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think on those, it was two individual mobile homes, you know, like not the whole parks. It was just two mobile homes And I just knew like, hey, I negotiated on the phone with the guy and knew he was motivated and he just wanted to get rid of them. So 
we went up there and and I just handed him the cash. We already had it pre-negotiated and I just I was like, "Okay, here we go." You know, and and it was quick deal. So I, I guess I just knew it was a good deal because it had to cost more to build them and that's kind of how I based it. So yeah. So were these just the mobile homes itself? So did you have yeah. to also move them to a park location or did you rent out a lot to place them on after that? How did that work? Yeah, good question. So these were in a park. And when I bought the homes, I started paying the lot rent to the park until they were rehabbed. And I didn't do a lot of rehab. I like cleaned them out, you know, and I think we fixed some drywall holes and then just put them up on Craigslist. And like the first day I had like over a hundred people reach out for the Mm -hmm. owner financing side of it. So, you know, it's very affordable down here in central Florida to pay, you know, 400 a month rent. And that's what the lot rent was in this park. So yeah, it's an interesting deal, but you know, moving on from the Lonnie dealers, you know, Lonnie deals I was doing, getting into the mobile home parks was a really big game changer. I mean, you're talking about the only commercial real estate asset class where literally the supply is shrinking. Like every year, there's fewer mobile home parks than there was the previous year because they're being redeveloped into higher and better uses. And it's really tough to get a new mobile home park zoned because of NIMBY and you know nobody wants to live right next to a trailer park. They think it's going to diminish the value. So there's some really interesting economics at play here inside of the uh, the asset class. So when you partnered up with a gentleman who had a bunch of mobile home parks that he wanted you to renovate, so what did you do after that? Did you just renovate them and then find a buyer for them? Or how did that process work? Or what were your plans for taking over those mobile home parks? So I want to make sure we, we differentiate. So mobile homes are like the individual homes. Mobile home parks are like a community with like 50 mobile homes in it. So the first deals that we were talking about, those were actually mobile homes, like the individual three bedroom, two bath type of mobile homes. So yeah, when we took those over, we just did lipstick on a pig and kind of just clean it up a little bit and get it sold to an end buyer uh, was the strategy there. Got it. And then for the following deals after that, were you rehabbing mobile home parks and then mm-hmm. renting lots out to individual renters or were you selling the mobile home parks after you renovated them? Good question. Good question. So our model was to buy, fix it up, and then refinance and hold them forever. That's our whole model. We do syndications, one-off syndications for every deal. We don't have like a fund that we're kind of cross-collateralizing everything. And that's the whole model. We're buying from mom and pop owners. You know, 70% of the mobile home parks in the country are owned by older baby boomer mom and pops that are retiring right now. So we're buying from them and they've kind of taken their foot off the gas, right? They've owned these things for 30 years. They have very low debt on them. So when they sell them, they can sell them and, and have great equity. And we're able to get creative financing and things like that. So it's really an awesome opportunity to you know, know that you're buying and making money going in because you know that you can run the property better than the mom and pops you know, that are keeping their rent roll on a yellow pad of paper, for example. For example. What are some of the costs that it takes to renovate a mobile home park? Or mobile home, sorry, mobile home unit. Yeah, the mobile home unit, you know, it's it really varies. I would say the average rehab is around five to six grand, you know, to kind of redo the flooring and some cabinets and you know, make sure that the the heat tape and electrical is is all working. But really for a mobile home park, 
you know, you're talking about sub-metering all of the homes so that they're paying for their own water sewer usage. You're talking about, uh, you know, bringing in homes to fill vacant lots. You know, mom and pops are notorious for just leaving vacant lots. We buy it 70% occupied and, you know, bring in some homes to fill those, increase the income and, and instantly add value. Uh, in addition to that, um, you know, we're, we're improving the, the, the signage and the fencing and the overall aesthetics, the roads and things like that as well, uh, add a lot of value. So at what point did you start to go from individual mobile home units and starting to expand into mobile home park communities? Very, very soon. Yeah. So I, I, like I said, I did like 19 of those Lonnie deals and those all happened like within six months. It was amazing. And then right after that is when I met the park owner and we got into mobile home parks and that was 2015 closed on my first mobile home park in 2017 and uh, it's 2023 today and we have 33 parks that we own and uh, and operate when you're looking at the mobile home parks what are the things around evaluating a mobile home park that makes it attractive versus it makes it more profitable from one mobile home park to another mobile home park yeah great question you know, I would say the utility infrastructure is going to have a big part of that. You're talking about mobile home communities. Average age is like 50 years old. You know, a lot of them were, were built back in the sixties and seventies. So utility infrastructure, city water and city sewer are ideal. You know, that way you don't have to maintain the water system or the septic system or wastewater treatment plant, those type of things. So those parks are, will trade for a higher multiple direct build. City utilities is like the mecca. That's like the the ideal situation. And then private utilities like a wastewater treatment plant and well water, you're going to have more uh, management intensive oversight because there's additional liability there. You don't want to poison a whole community because you, you didn't do the chlorine reading for the day. There's just additional costs for the, uh, for the risk. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. What makes a mobile home park more attractive for residents to look to live in one of these places versus another place that might not be as attractive? Yeah, at this, it's, it's really about affordability. Like we have an affordable housing crisis in the United States. And like to talk about earlier, there's an econ 101 deal here, right? We have crazy demand. We put one of these mobile homes online. We're getting like tens, 20 people reach out per day, you know, wanting to go see the home and, you know, they have money and they're ready to go. So we're able to be picky with who we put in these homes, which is a big part of this because you, you know, you're, you're dealing with affordable housing and you don't want to, get a bad egg in there that could spoil the whole community. So yeah, I think that's from a high level, really what I would focus on. 
What helped you get from that first mobile home park and then grow to where you are today, which you said about 33 mobile home parks? Yeah, I would say my team found some really good people early on. I I use a tool called the predictive index. It's like a personality and cognitive assessment. And that has just really helped help me build a really good solid team where people are actually like in roles that shine on their strengths. One of the things earlier you said that within the mobile home parks, the supply is starting to diminish and it's getting less and less every single year. What about the demand? Are you seeing the demand increasing from now versus when you first started? It's been about the same. I mean, it's been crazy. You know, the demand is just always there. You don't even have to have a website. You just people are just calling nonstop. Hey, do you have any availability? Do you have any availability? The affordable housing crisis is real and manufactured housing can be built for less than half the cost of site built housing because it's manufactured in a, in a warehouse, right? And it can be more done more efficiently. You know, when you build a manufactured home, when Clayton Homes, they had an exhibit at uh, the manufactured housing institute Congress and, and like expo uh, conference. When they build a mobile home, they only fill one trash can full of trash. That's how efficient they are. When you look at a site-built house that's going up, how many dumpsters do they take off every couple of weeks, right? So it just shows you like, you know, the cost savings that really are, this is why I'm in the business. I love the win-win of, hey, we can get investors great returns, but we can also add affordable housing units to markets that desperately need them. What is the lifespan of a typical mobile home before you have to tear it down and rebuild it? Or does that even need to happen within a mobile home? You know, it completely depends. I think there's some older homes out there like built in the 60s that were smaller homes. Like they built them differently back then. They were like 12 foot wide and like 48 foot long. And in today's world with bigger families, That's just not realistic. So, you know, we stay away from parks that have those smaller homes because they don't sell as well. When you have a bigger community that looks like a subdivision and there's bigger uh, 16 by 80 mobile homes on there that have three bedrooms, you know, those are just flying off the shelves. And we have one community where we're renting three bedroom, two bath manufactured homes for over $1,800 a month. It just shows you the demand that we have for this product when the home itself costs $50,000 you know, to build that manufactured home compared to a site-built house, which would be exponentially higher. And are these on a year-by-year lease that the residents pay off of, or uh, they sign on like a year-by-year lease, or is it a longer lease term that you typically work with? It depends on the state, but we prefer month-to-month month leases. Month-to-month, oh, okay. Uh, because that way we can non-renew them if they're not following the rules because we're, we're very strict on the violations and things like that to make sure that they're playing ball with us because it just gets out of hand really quickly if you're not on it in mobile home parks. That's probably one of the bigger differences is it is management intensive. And a lot of the groups that are you know operate mobile home parks like myself, you're forced to have an uh, in-house management company to really get your arms around it. What does it look like typically when you take over a new mobile home park to start the operations aspect of it, of the whole takeover process? Oh, that's the fun part. I mean, it's a lot of work, but it's so fun meeting all the tenants. And, you know, we always have an on-site manager that we put at each property. That's super part-time, 10 to 20 hours a week, typically. It's someone that, you know, is older on social security, already has the nicest yard and the nicest home in the park. 
And, you know, we make them the manager and they, there are eyes and ears communicating with corporate and then delivering notices and things like that. So that's really, really important is finding a good onsite manager. And literally, if you have a good manager, it can make or break a deal. It's that valuable. So where do you see the mobile home parks industry kind of moving forward? And what are you focused on coming up in the future? Yeah, I see what's going on with the economy and these bank failures and inflation and interest rates. And, you know, I think we're due for a little reset. And manufactured housing, what's unique about it is like it's the most affordable form of non subsidized housing. So it does well if people are moving up and it does well if people are moving down in terms of their societal socioeconomic status because this is where people can move to that's more affordable. Also, school districts, people are huge on where they want their kids to go to school. They will go and move into a mobile home just so they can you know, live in that school district because it has, has decent schools. So I think mobile home parks are great, reliable income source. It's been really great for my family and myself from a, a wealth building standpoint. And also it's a win-win. It helps add those affordable housing units and cleans up these communities, you know, because a lot of people are coming in, tearing them down and putting apartments, you know, in that same spot. And it hurts because those people just get kicked out. They need to find somewhere else to go. So I think we need more mobile home park specific operators. And what are you doing to prepare in the event of a downturn? Yeah, I mean, we don't do some of the variable rate debt. We don't do bridge debt. You know, we're doing long-term fixed stuff on everything. And and we're just I got a big banner above my desk here. It says compounding. You know, we're just looking at the long-term compounding effects of owning real estate with the tax benefits and with the agency financing we're able to get because it is affordable housing. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac are lending in the space. And that's the best debt you can get because the government wants that affordable housing because it needs it. Andrew, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Oh, it's been monumental. I mean, my whole life has changed. I've I've created financial freedom for my family and myself. It's just been a a big blessing. And Andrew, if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Wow. I would say, you know, I got caught up on the money part, like thinking I needed to raise the money before I found the deal. And I had it all backwards, right? If you find a good deal, right, through off-market sourcing or whatever, cold calling, whatever, the money will come, right? You're going to have to go ask them for it and show them the numbers, but like the money will be the easy part. It's finding the deal that's the tough part. So spend your time finding deals and not trying to find money. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Wow, that sets successful people apart in real estate investing. I would say grit. I would say like at the end of the day, are you going to push and make that extra phone call? Are you going to are you going to stick through it and get it to the, the finish line? Because I, I see that's where a lot of people fail. And a lot of people on my team, when I hire new people, I see them make one phone call and, and hang up and then never call again. And you know, my team is trained now to, hey, we are over pursuing you if we need to get something done. We're not going to wait for you to respond to my email to like cross this item off of my to-do list. I'm going to call you in the morning, at lunchtime, and in the evening, I'm probably going to send you an email and maybe I might text you. I might even send you a Facebook message, but I'm going to get it done. And that's just how we've like built our culture. And that's why we've been able to grow so fast. Awesome. 
So Andrew, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing in the space? Yeah, they can check me out on keelteam.com. That's K-E-E-L, team like basketball team, T-E-A-M.com. Just fill out the contact form and would love to you know chat with you and help you on your journey or talk with you about mobile home parks. Fantastic. Andrew, thank you so much for all of your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.